Turn in your Bible to 2 Samuel chapter 24. 2 Samuel chapter 24. I want to commend Brother Jim and our choir and our special music groups who have done such a beautiful job in the last few weeks and bringing us close to heaven through these great songs. And tonight I want to bring a brief message. And uh, sometimes you don't believe a preacher when he says brief. But if you'll pray for me, it will be brief. From 2 Samuel chapter 24, verse 24. You can remember that, 2 Samuel 24, 24. Let's say that out loud. 2 Samuel 24, 24. You could remember that. Let's pray before we read. Our Father, we pray tonight for the moving of the Holy Spirit among us. We thank you for the great songs. We thank you for the Spirit of Jesus who is in this place. And for every person who has come, our visitors, the strangers within our gates, and every faithful member of our church. We thank you for our college students who are back. We thank you for our Sunday school teachers and training leaders and deacons and long-range committee meetings members and all those who have had part in leading this work. God bless them. Open our hearts to hear from heaven tonight. And if there's one lost soul in this place, Lord, I'm sure there is. We pray that that one would be convicted and drawn to Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, I'm sure you remember the story in 2 Samuel chapter 24. I'll not have the time to read the entire section. But David had sinned. He committed two big sins in his life. One was with Bathsheba, the adulterous sin. The other was a lack of faith. He wanted to know how many human beings he could count on to fight the Lord's battle. And you can't ever do that. The battle belongs to the Lord. If God wants to win with a hundred people against two thousand, he can do it. There was a time in Israel's history when God said to the prophet, you've got way too many people. You have three thousand people. And I want you to get rid of a bunch of them and only three hundred will do the work. But David was thinking, I can't go to battle without all the people. And so he made Joab go out and number the people. And Joab knew it was wrong. And the people knew it was wrong. David knew it was wrong, but he did it anyway. And finally, God, the, the number came back. It was a huge number. And God said, David, you've sinned. And I'm going to give you a choice. You either allow the enemy to come upon you and thousands will die. Or there will come a plague upon you or the death angel will pass over you. You will fall into the hand of God. And David said, I've sinned, but I know God. Oh, listen, David was a man after God's own heart. He was not a perfect man, but he was a man who knew the Lord. And he said, oh God, I'd rather fall into your hand than to fall into the enemy's hand. And so God's death angel passed over all the land of Israel. Thousands died. And the death angel came to Jerusalem. 
and was hovering over Jerusalem. And God, David said, God, stay the hand of the death angel. Don't hurt all of these innocent people. It's my sin. And he repented. Oh, how we need the spirit of repentance. Amen. And the prophet came to David and said, all right, David, you must offer an offering unto the Lord. The death angel had come right over the place on Mount Moriah where earlier Abraham had offered Isaac. It was called the threshing floor of Aranah. Some call him Arunah. And David said, I want to get that threshing floor and I'm going to offer a sacrifice to God. And when Aranah heard about it, why he said, David, you're the king. I'm not going to let you buy this. I'll give it to you. David said in verse 24, the king said to Arunah, Nay, but I will surely buy it of thee at a price. Neither will I offer burnt offerings unto the Lord my God of that which doth cost me nothing. So David bought the threshing floor and the oxen for 50 shekels of silver. Now he was king. He could have had that at no price at all. But he said, no, I'm going to buy it. I'm going to pay for it. I am not going to offer God of that which costs me nothing. Now with that background in mind, very briefly, I want to ask you this question. What does it cost to offer to God? What does it cost to offer to God? What did it cost David? What does it cost us? What does it cost you, me, our church. What does it cost to offer to God? If you're here tonight and you're without Jesus Christ, you've never really been satisfied with your soul's salvation, what would it cost to get you saved? If you sensed God dealing with your heart and your life, and you've been right on the brink of stepping over and saying, Lord, here's my life. What would it cost for you to give your life to Him? What would it cost this church to really give ourselves totally to Him? David said, I will not offer unto the Lord that which cost me nothing. And I want to mention three words that I believe sum up what it costs. Number one, frugality. Being frugal. 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 Another word for industrious. Open your Bible to Proverbs chapter 31. And I want you to notice, this is the tribute to a very w wonderful woman. <clears throat> we have a lot of illustrations about godly men in the Bible, but this is a godly woman. And beginning in verse 10, the scripture says, Who can find a virtuous woman? 
her price is far above rubies. And then it gives a whole list of characteristics and attributes of this virtuous woman. But I want you to notice verse 14. Well, let's begin with 13. She seeketh wool and flax and worketh willingly with her hands. She is like the merchant's ships. She bringeth her food from afar. She riseth also while it is yet night and giveth food to her household and a portion to her maidens. She considereth a field and buyeth it. With the fruit of her hands she planteth a vineyard. She girdeth her loins with strength and strengtheneth her arms. She perceiveth that her merchandise is good. Her lamp goeth not out by night. She layeth her hands to the spindle and her hands hold the distaff. She stretcheth out her hand to the poor. Yea, she reacheth forth her hands to the needy. She is not afraid of the snow for her household, for all her household are clothed with scarlet. Now look, look at verse 16. She considereth a field and buyeth it, and with the fruit of her hands she planteth a vineyard. What did it cost that woman to get a, a tribute made to her like that? Frugality. She was a frugal woman. That is, she was not lazy. She was industrious. She was able... And it was said of her, she gets up early, she stays up late, her hand goes to the distaff and the spindle, and she is a busy person, she is a working person. There is not a lazy bone in her body. And I want to submit to you tonight, if we're going to give to God that which He desires, we must give him in a spirit of frugality, that is, industriousness. That is, we must put aside from our lives anything that would seem to be self-centered and self-desire and laziness and put our all on the altar. Now listen, I'm not telling you how to be saved. I'm going to get to that. You don't get saved by doing that. I'm talking to save people. I'm talking about if you're going to give to God your personality, if you're going to give to God your offering, if you're going to give to God something that costs you, it will cost frugality, industriousness, being done with laziness and pettiness and littleness and putting it all aside and saying, I'm putting my all on the altar for Christ. Turn your Bible to Genesis chapter 23. Genesis chapter 23, a very strange passage. Sarah had died. That was Abraham's wife. He loved her very dearly. He could have buried her anywhere. But if you look in Genesis 23, verse 3, Abraham stood up from before his dead and spoke unto the sons of Heth, saying, I am a stranger and a sojourner with you. Give me a possession of a burying place with you that I may bury my dead out of my sight. And the rest of this story tells how they wanted to give him a place. Just give it to him. <laughs> and Abraham said, no. I'm not going to do that. He said, I'm not going to offer something that doesn't cost me anything. You tell me how much this cave of Machpelah will cost and I'll buy it. I'll pay for it. I'm not asking for favors. 
I'm going to be industrious. I'm going to be the kind of man that will be honest. And I'm going to pay for it. Any of you who went to the land of the Bible with us will remember that Johnny was with us, Brother Johnny. And we went to Hebron. And uh, we wanted to see the cave of Machpelah. And it was getting dark and, and the Muslims dwell there. It's like the Anak, the giants in the land. And the Jews were afraid and our guide was a Jew. And he said, well, you can't do it. It's almost dark. But Johnny did. And he went down to the cave of Machpelah. And he examined it. I, he's the only one of our group that did that. The rest of us ran, got on the bus. And the bus started going. I said, wait a minute, driver, you can't leave. Johnny's here. And he said, you better get him. We're going to leave him. And we sent a battalion back to get Brother Johnny. He came, finally got on the bus, and that bus took off through Hebron 60 miles an hour. Because just a week before, guns had been shot into the buses and some of the pilgrims had died. But we didn't know that. But that's the cave of Machpelah. Abraham said, I'm going to pay the price for it. Ladies and gentlemen, there's a price to pay if we're going to offer to God something. We can't offer to God that which costs us nothing. With Abraham, it cost him money. With David, it cost him money. With the virtuous woman, it cost her all of the industry of her life, placing it at the disposal of the things that she knew were right. And she was a lady of character. I would not offer to God that which cost me nothing. If we're going to offer something to God, we need to be frugal in our character. Industrious. Filled with the enthusiasm of putting God first in our lives. Secondly, I would not offer to God that which cost me nothing. Turn your Bible to 1 Peter 1, 7. 1, 17. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 17. And notice what is said. If ye call on the Father, who without respect of persons judgeth according to every man's work, pass the time of your sojourning here in fear. I submit to you, if we're going to offer unto the Lord that which costs something, if we're going to offer an honor offering to the Lord, it'll have to be done in the fear of the Lord. The Bible says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And we're to walk in the fear of the Lord. Look in your Bible at Psalm 111, verse 10. Psalm 111, verse 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. A good understanding have all they that do His commandments. His praise endureth forever. What is the fear of the Lord? Well, the fear of the Lord is not being scared of Him. The fear of the Lord is a holy reverence, recognizing that we're dealing with the God of all the universe. And even though He dwells in the heavens, and He rules over the entire universe, not just our earthly planet, but Jupiter and Mars and Saturn and unto the ends of space. That's the God we have to do with. And that God so loved us that He sent His Son, Jesus, to earth. And Jesus died on the cross for our sins. The fear of the Lord 
strikes repentance in our hearts. It says God is not some kind of buddy-buddy upstairs, the man upstairs, have you talked to the man upstairs and things like that. But the fear of the Lord is a respect, a reverence, a holy awe before God that says God so loved the world that he gave Jesus to die for me. And I'm going to honor him. I'm going to respect him. I'm going to serve him. And if we're going to offer to God that which costs, we have to offer it in the fear of the Lord. Do you have the fear of the Lord? Listen, if you had the fear of the Lord in you, you wouldn't chew chewing gum and stick it under the bench. Right or wrong? He said, that's pretty practical, preacher. Yeah, that's right. If you here have the fear of the Lord, you wouldn't write in the song book, if my face you would see, turn to page 33. I saw that in one of the song books. If you had the fear of the Lord in your life, there's going to be respect and reverence before God. And you'll offer to the Lord your whole life and heart and mind and soul and being. And if this church is to do what God wants it to do, there will have to be a spirit of repentance among us. Amen. That comes before God and says, Oh God, I fear thee. Not so much that I'm scared of you, Oh, I know your might and your power and I know the lightning and the thunder and the storms and I know all of that and I know the typhoons and the windstorms and all that you can do and the tornadoes. I know that. But Lord, if there were no tornadoes and there were no storms and no hurricanes and so on, I still fear the Lord because the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And the fear of the Lord leads to repentance. It says, God, I am a sinner. You're the Savior. And I ask you to cleanse me and forgive me. The third word. Not only if, if we're going to offer to the Lord that which costs something. Not only do we need to be frugal, industrious, put away laziness. Not only do we have to need the fear of the Lord. But we need faith. Faith. Without faith it is impossible to please God. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. There's no way to please God without faith. Faith lays hold of the promise of God and says, I believe God. Have you ever had somebody that you believed? And they said, if you'll meet me tomorrow, I'll take you downtown and buy you a suit or a tie. I like those ties. Or a shirt. And so tomorrow you meet them. But before tomorrow, Cleo comes along and says, hey, preacher, how about meeting me in the morning? I'm sorry, I'm going to meet so-and-so. He's going to get me a suit. Well, how do you know that? He told me that. You mean you believe him? Sure, I believe him. I believe him. That's taking hold of a promise of God or a promise and just applying it to your life. Now, that's on a human level, but that's exactly what faith is. Peter walked on water. Jesus was out there and Peter said, Lord, if that's really you, bid me to come. 
And the Lord said, come on, Peter, come on. And Peter got out there and he started. And, the, and faith was the substance upon which he walked. Amen. He did something nobody had ever done before. He did it by faith. They sang a while ago, we've come this far by faith. God wants us to walk by faith, Amen. not by sight. There came a time in Israel's life when they came out of Egypt and they came to Kadesh Barnea and, and God told them to go in and conquer the land. Well, they said, we can't do that. Uh, there are giants in the land. Uh, we don't have the resources. They sent 12 spies in there Ten of them came back and said, it's impossible. It is impossible. Impossible. No way we can do it. We saw those giants and we saw those big people and we were like grasshoppers in their sight. And there came two men of faith, Joshua and Caleb. And they said, why, Brother Moses, we're well able to do it. Sure, there are giants, but we serve a great God. Forty years went by. God caused all that generation who were 20 years of age and over to die in the wilderness. And here is old Joshua and old Caleb. They're at least 80 years old. Can you just see them walking around like that? No, you can't because they didn't. They walked like that. Because you see, when you put your trust in God... He gives you strength. They that serve the Lord and wait upon the Lord shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. And if you'll turn in your Bible to Joshua chapter 14, you find old Caleb. I call him old, but listen to this, beginning in verse 6. Then the children of Judah came unto Joshua in Gilgal, and Caleb the son of Jephthah the Kenizzite said unto him, Thou knowest the thing that the Lord said to Moses, the man of God, concerning me and thee in Kadesh Barnea. Forty years old was I when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh to spy out the land, and I brought him word again as it was in mine heart. Nevertheless, my brethren who went up with me made the heart of the people melt, but I wholly followed the Lord my God. And Moses swore on that day, saying, Surely, the land whereon thou, thy feet have trodden shall be thine inheritance and thy children's forever because thou hast wholly followed the Lord my God. And now, behold, the Lord hath kept me alive, as he said, these forty and five years, even since the Lord spoke unto, the word, unto, unto this word unto Moses, while the children of Israel wandered in the wilderness. And now, lo, I am this day fourscore and five years old. That's eighty-five. And yet I am as strong this day as I was in the day that Moses sent me. As my strength was then, even so is my strength now. For war both to go out and to come in. Now therefore, give me this mountain. I want that mountain. I want that mountain. I want that mountain. Why, why Caleb, you're 85 years old. Yeah, I want that mountain. And the rest of the story is that Caleb took a little handful of people and went in and got the mountain. Amen. How come he could do that? F-A-I-T. 
F-A-I-T-H. Faith. Just by faith. Lay hold of the promise of God. God said it. I believe it. And he did it. Now tonight, if you're here and you've never been saved, Jesus said, I'll save you. I'll forgive you. I'll cleanse you. I'll take you to heaven when you die. If you'll trust in Jesus. Jesus died on the cross for you. If you'll put your faith in him, he'll save you. If you'll do that now, he'll forgive your transgressions and cleanse you and save you. Would you do it? If you're here and God has been tugging at your heart about your life, he has a plan for you. He has a blueprint for your life. He has a purpose for your life. And you've been holding back and you've said, well, Lord, I can't do this. I can't do this. And I'm not able to do it this way. And I'm not sure I can do it. If you'll turn the sticks of your life over to Jesus Christ, he'll take you and break you and make you and mold you. And he'll use you just as you did Caleb. But it's, you, you see, there has to be faith. And it, all three of these work together, frugality. It must be frugal. You can't say, Lord, I'll serve you. And just sit down over here and twiddle your thumbs and say, well, I'll serve you, Lord. <laughs> you tell me what to do. It's not like that. God calls busy people. Amen. You're right out in the work. You don't have time to be lazy. You roll your sleeves up and get to work. I'm not talking. That's not how you get saved. Please remember. But that's how you serve. Amen. And then there must be not only that frugal attitude, but there must be the fear of the Lord stricken in your heart. I'm serving God. I have decided to follow Jesus. I won't turn back. I won't turn back. There's the fear of God in my heart. And last of all, faith. And faith is the platform upon which we build a life. That's how we get saved. And then that's how we go and serve God from faith to faith. I wonder if there's anybody here tonight who would say, by the grace of God, I want those three characteristics in my life. I want them. I need them. And I want to ask God for them. There may be some people here right on the brink of stepping over and saying, Lord, here's my life. I give it to you. But you'll have to build those three things into your life. Let, let God build them there. And God wants the church to build those three things into the church's life. May we pray. Every head bowed, every eye closed for just a moment. Our Father, we thank you for this word from God. We pray that if there's one person here who is without Jesus, that you'd draw them to Christ quickly. They might come, not hold back. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We